Thank you, Grace, for sharing your story. I was reminded of this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, Paul says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And I was told this week that someone committed to increasing their giving by 25% in the coming year. It's so encouraging to hear stories of God at work like that. Church, what, what might God be asking of you? Test me, God says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I want to I challenge you to live defiantly with your finances and test God to see what he does. Just might surprise you. Um, is anyone sitting at home right now and going, you know, 2020 turned out exactly like I expected, relationally, financially, spiritually. I am so content right now, so happy and so joyful. Merry Christmas. I'm probably guessing not. I'm guessing that for many of us, nothing about 2020 was what we expected, relationally, financially, even spiritually. The question is, how are you doing with that? They have a saying in 12 steps that goes like this. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Bitterness, resentment, and disappointment in my life is often a direct result of unmet expectations. And that's because behind most of our expectations is a need to control. See, the idea behind expectations requires that someone doesn't know the future or the outcome and is trying to control behavior to get the desired outcome. This is why greater your need for control, greater the tendency towards expectations. And you wind up living life from the perspective of, if I do such and such, then I expect that such and such will happen. And when we come face to face with the painful truth that we're not in control, the result often is bitterness and anger and resentment. Expectations live in the land of should and ought and must. He should have shown me more respect. It's just what people ought to do. And if you really care about me, then you must. You have this image in your mind expectations about how God and others and even life should and ought and must be and when they don't live up and they almost never do we walk away with resentment and bitterness and disappointment how many of us live in the land of expectations you know in all of my years of pastoring one of the most common factors of why people struggle in the first few years of marriage is because of you guessed it unmet expectations you have this idea this preconceived notion in your mind of how the marriage is what's going to go and you quickly realize though that your spouse can't and sometimes won't live up to them but 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 he should do those things for me he promised no 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 marriage vows are what we promise to do for the other person regardless of the situation we're in and without a promise of getting anything in return Love isn't transactional. Problems always arise when we expect our spouses to respond in the way we want. Love is about giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least. It's how Jesus Christ loved us, and you and I are called to do the same for others. Now, I want to be clear here. Expectations not about not having standards for people and keeping them accountable. 
No, expectations, though, is about setting standards for what, when, and how certain things should and ought and must happen. Expectations sets up exact terms and parameters for how something should happen or a particular way that someone must respond to illustrate their love for us. Now, the major problem with these expectations, though, is that no one, not even God, ever lives up to them. And because we are so focused on whether or not they have done what we think they should and ought and must do, we miss all the other good things that they are doing and all the ways that people do show their love for us. You see, expectations kill relationships, including our relationship with God. I mean, don't we all do this at some point? We have certain expectations of how God should and ought and must love us and respond to us. And when he doesn't, we become hurt and disappointed and sometimes even lose faith. But just like all the other relationships, when we focus solely on our own preconceived notions of how God should communicate and how God ought to love us and how God must respond, we completely miss all the ways that he actually is loving us and communicating with us and responding to us. Some of you this morning are struggling. And it's not disbelief in God, but disappointment with God. Maybe it was an unanswered prayer or an unexpected outcome to a certain situation. Maybe even how life turned out. Things didn't quite turn out the way we expected. God didn't do what we expected. And the tragedy is we may have missed God along the way because he didn't come to us the way we expected. See, that to me is the lesson of the Christmas story. The time from Malachi to John the Baptist is called the intertestamental period. See, for 400 years, there was no word from God. God seemed completely silent as his people waited and waited for the coming Messiah. But when God finally came in the person of Jesus, just about everybody missed it. Their expectations of who the Messiah would be and how he would bring about deliverance just couldn't be reconciled in who Jesus was. The answer wasn't what they were looking for. See, expectations always boxes God in and limits the way he can move in our lives. The Pharisees would have seen Jesus if it wasn't for all their looking. Their expectations of what the Messiah should and ought and must look like totally blinded them to Jesus. And what about the disciples on the road to Emmaus bemoaning the absence of the very one who was present right there with them? We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, they sighed. Their expectation of what Jesus should and ought and must do blinded them to the cross, to the resurrection, and to a deeper redemption than they could ever imagine. And friends, our expectation does the same. We miss all the ways that God is at work because we're looking for something else or someone else. And we don't see God's answers to prayers because we're looking for something else or someone else. We want God to speak to us through open doors, but maybe God speaks to us through closed doors. We want God to speak to us through everything going well, 
Maybe God speaks to us in the midst of a pandemic. God whispers to us in our pleasures and speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, C.S. Lewis said. Maybe like Elijah, some of us expect God to speak to us through a tornado or hurricane or earthquakes, but God often speaks through gentle whispers. Do you have eyes to see God giving answers, not the answers that you're looking for? Do you have eyes to see God at work? I've seen a lot of young adults get stuck spiritually because of expectations born out of some past experiences of God worked. You know, they have this nostalgia about some time in the past where they encountered God powerfully. Maybe it was while they were on a mission trip or at a retreat or some conference they attended or the vibrant ministry they were a part of. But they go through a season where they're spiritually dry and almost at a subconscious level, they think, you know, if I could just go back to that, if I can just experience that, man, if I was just there with those people. But I've found that God rarely speaks in the same way that he did in the past. He does this to remind us that it wasn't about the place or the people or the things or even you. It was God. It was grace. And that God is with you today. But we might be missing God because we're looking for a certain way that God moved in our lives in the past. So here's the question that I want to ask you this morning, church. During this season of Advent, are you waiting with expectation or expectancy? So there are two Greek words that illuminate the critical distinction between expectation and expectancy. First, I want to take a look at expectancy. Okay? We'll be looking at two verses from the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager anticipation, apokaradokia, for the children of God to be revealed. Now, that word apokaradokia, translated eager anticipation, is a Greek word that literally means strained expectancy. Imagine a runner as he nears the finish line, leaning with his head outstretched. What Paul is saying here is that the things aren't as they ought to be. This world, all of creation, is riddled with pain, death, and sorrow. But all of creation, check this out, waits in eager expectancy, edge-of-the-seat anticipation that redemption is on the way. That healing, restoration, and renewal is on the way. We don't know when and we don't know how, but we do know God. God is always up to something good because God is always at work, even when we're not aware of it. His delays are not denials. His silence doesn't mean absence, and his hiddenness doesn't mean abandonment. The second passage is Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul says, it is my eager anticipation, apokaradokia, and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul here ties hope with apokaradokia. See, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's life-changing certainty about the future. 
It's being certain about the future in a way that affects how you live now. So biblical hope is living with eager expectancy, edge of the seat anticipation that God is up to something good because God is always at work. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we do know God. You see, expectancy is fundamentally rooted in God's character. He is who he says he is, and God's promises. He will do what he says he will do. He is all-wise, all-loving, and all-powerful. Psalm 84, 11, He is my sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from his kids. And anchored in that truth, expectancy has at its core a childlike trust. Not in the circumstances of life, because circumstances of life is a terrible barometer of whether God is at work. Just look at the cross whenever you're tempted to allow circumstances of life to determine God's activity. Whenever you're tempted to believe if any good could come from tragedy, loss, and even evil. You see, expectancy has at its core a childlike trust in who God is, which then leads to living in the present, here and now, as it is, rather than requiring it to be different in order for it to be good enough. The thing about expectations is that I don't live in the moment, but in the past of what could have been or the future, some outcome we desperately want to see and completely miss out on all the good that God is doing here and now if we have eyes to see it. See, expectancy, though, is about a posture towards life that causes us to be open, trusting, hopeful, and eager. Something good, something redemptive is going to happen. And I'm here to welcome it. Why? Because I trust God. Expectation, on the other hand, was best illustrated by Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. See, Jesus tells the parable about a landowner who needs, a harvest, who needs harvesters for his vineyard. So he goes out at first light, hires day laborers, and promises them a fair wage, a denarius each. Then he makes four other trips into town in roughly three-hour intervals to hire more workers, each time promising them to pay what is right. And at the day's end, he starts paying the people he hired last, the ones who only worked an hour first, paying each of them a denarius. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 10, says this, So when those came who were hired first, they ex Expected, Greek word is nomis, to receive more. Nomis literally means to assume, to feel entitled, to feel owed. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. The laborers who had been working all day expected to receive more than a denarius, even though that's what was promised them. And Jesus ends the parable with this. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? The last will be first, and the first will be last. See, those first workers formed in their minds a distinct and narrow picture of what ought to be, what should be, what must be, and anything less than that, anything other than that disappointed them. Their attitude was one of, I'm owed, I'm entitled, I deserve, I demand. I set the terms, I set the conditions. It must be this, it must be that, it must be now. 
ought, should, must. See, when you read the Gospels, do you know what seemed to characterize those who encountered Jesus and walked away changed and those who didn't? Those who came to Jesus with expectations. So think Pharisees. It must be this, it must be that, and I'm, it must be now. I'm old, I'm entitled. They walked away disappointed every single time. But those who came to Jesus with the sense of expectancy, regardless of how far they were from God, walked away changed and transformed. Never the same again. Where there is a spirit of expectation, people close up to God. Where there's a spirit of expectancy, people open up to God. You know, I've preached to people to whom I could have said almost nothing, and they would have met God and walked away transformed. I've also preached to those with whom I could have been as anointed as the Apostle Paul, and I don't think it would have made an ounce of difference. What makes the difference is whether people have a spirit of expectation or expectancy. See, expectancy says God can do something here. He could bring good to come forth from this. And I'm surrendering my preconceived notions of what and how. Lord, have your way. It's the spark in the soul that makes you dare to believe that God can cause good to come from bad. Light can overcome darkness and life can resurrect out of death. That despite all that has happened in your life and all that is happening in your life and all that will happen, God will redeem it all. And where that's present, God always seems to show up. So can I ask you, maybe it's been incredibly hard to worship online. Do you come with a sense of expectancy? Do you come here with the sense of, I'm going to encounter God today. Because God isn't bound by time and space, and he certainly isn't bound by technology. God is bigger than that. God is going to show up today. I don't know how, but I know this about him. He says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. So I'm coming with the sense of anticipation, with trust that God will do something. Or friend, do you come with zero sense of expectancy? Maybe for some of us, we don't come with a sense of expectancy because we're not doing well spiritually. And we think that our spiritual condition is a barrier to God moving in our lives. I want to tell you it's not. Our gracious God is more than ready and willing to forgive, to heal, to redeem. Maybe for others of us, we don't come with expectancy because we don't want to be disappointed. But will you see that underneath that fear of being disappointed is often our expectations of how we want God to come to us, how we want God to answer us. And if you're someone who's grown hard, cold, and apathetic, maybe you can try something. Well, what if we came with the posture of expectancy? We don't come with demands or certainties about how God should show up. What if we simply said, God, you said that if I draw near to you, that you'll draw near to me. And I don't know how you will or what that would even look like, but I trust you. So I'm simply coming to you with my hands open, my heart willing to receive whatever and however you want to come to me. 
I'm making myself open and available to you, my good, good Father, to receive from your hand. Well, not everyone missed seeing the Messiah that first Christmas. See, there was a teenage girl in the Roman Empire who wasn't beholden to her expectations of who the Messiah would be and how he would bring about deliverance for the people of God. See, she didn't box God in and limit the ways that he can move in our lives. Only childlike faith that was open, trusting, eager, and hopeful. You see, when Mary received from an angel what was an all category shattering news of what God was going to do, she said in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. Lord, I don't know what or how, but have your way. No demands, no timetables, no expectations of how all this will pan out. I surrender. I trust you. I believe you are who you say you are and that you will do what you said you will do. And that's enough for me. Then Mary burst out into what is known as the Magnificat, Mary's song. And we see the basis for her spirit of expectancy and why you can approach this Christmas in a very uncertain 2021 with the spirit of expectancy, not expectation, and maybe, just maybe, encounter God and walk away transformed and changed. Luke chapter 1, verse 54. Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he said to our fathers. Spirit of expectancy comes from remembering God never forgets. God always keeps his promises, just as he said. God always keeps his promises. God will always act in the world and in your life. Are you tempted to despair as you look at your life and circumstances and the unanswered prayers and the closed doors or the rejection letter and the weeks and months of waiting and waiting? Maybe you're saying, God's forgotten about me. Well, the good news of Christmas is God never forgets. Isaiah 49, 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. You might not know where God is, but God knows where you are. He calls each and every star by name. It's not likely that he's forgotten yours. God never forgets. God will always act in the world and in your life. But expectancy says, in his time. You'll never know when God will come. God will often show up when we least expect it. He did that 2,000 years ago. But his time is always perfect. Galatians 4.4, but when the right time came, God sent his son. God's timing is never too early and it's never too late. In his time and in his way. God will often show up in unexpected ways. He comes not as a king in a palace, but a baby in a manger. He brings salvation not through strength, but through weakness. Not through power, but through servanthood. 
Are you missing God because you're looking for Him in all the wrong places? Does God always keep His promises? Absolutely. But does God always keep His promises in the way that we expect? No. See, expectancy is anchored in the belief that God never forgets, but in His time and in His way, God will do something. What that actually looks like, we often won't know until it happens. But expectancy doesn't set terms and conditions for the outcomes. Expectancy also isn't passive. It's making space, setting aside intentional time to seek, to look, and to notice. But we do all this with open hands, trusting that God is always up to something good because God is always at work, even when we're not aware of it. His delays are not denials. His silence doesn't mean absence. And his hiddenness doesn't mean abandonment. So, as you reflect on 2020, and as you look towards 2021, is your attitude one of expectancy or expectation? See, maybe God didn't meet your expectations of what your life should look like. And those unmet expectations have turned to apathy and cynicism, maybe even unbelief. See, we can continue with expectations, saying this specific thing must happen for me to welcome it. And it must happen in the time frame and in the manner that I think it needs to. But in our expectations of how we think God ought to work, we might totally miss God working, coming to us, because we're so focused on what we think He ought to do in the manner that we think He should do it. But when we let go of our expectations and preconceived notions of how God and others should respond to us, it is then that we begin to experience relationship with God and others that gives life. Instead of the disappointment associated with looking for God in certain places and not finding Him there, we can begin to experience the joy and gratitude of discovering Him in the least likeliest of places. And maybe in our childlike expectancy, we'll find ourselves, as C.S. Lewis puts it, surprised by joy. And isn't that the only way to experience joy? Through surprise? I mean, just watch a child's face light up in the presence of something as modest as a firefly's glow. Why so much joy over something so ordinary? It's because they didn't expect it. Because they had no expectation, they had no disappointment. Instead, just profound joy and gratitude for that bug's little yellow light. So, what if you and I replaced ought and should and must with this? Lord, have your way in me. Lord, have your way in my life, in our church, in our world. We let go of our expectations. Listen, they're stealing your joy and killing your relationships and holding you back from truly living. And as you replace those expectations with expectancy, you'll begin to see and know and feel God and all the people around you in a way you never knew possible. And you might find that God will often work beyond our expectations and give us something better. God is 
able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Will you pray with me?